Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 31. So it's been, I think, well over a year that me and Rob finally decided to get back to that kind of trio of black metal episodes we were doing. So if you didn't hear the earlier ones, the idea we had was to do a dive through like the weirder end of black metal mm. and starting off on the stuff that was very much still obviously recognisable as black metal, but has started twisting the formula, stuff like Dark Space or like later Emperor albums. And then we went more into like the avant-garde, like well, slightly avant-garde realm, like mm. you kind of your Arcturus and Code, those kind of bands. The final one, we want to go full blown into the bands that have gone so avant-garde. The black metal element has almost been forgotten. Mm. It's just somewhere slightly in the blueprint of the music. So we're four bands today who are wildly different, but I feel there's kind of like a connected theme throughout them. There's something atmospherically. Yeah. I think that's the big thing, is that the thing that makes black metal as a genre is that it has this very particular atmosphere, and I think you can hear bits of that in all of these bands that we'll talk about today. Yes, yeah, so the first one we get get into is, yeah, the wildly avant-garde, um, unfortunately now finished band, um, Eiffel Duaf. Uh, this is an Italian, like, Italy-based band who had a grand total of five albums throughout their career, and one of these really interesting projects where they started out bizarre and interesting and every album is completely different all mm. five are just a completely new style we're going to cover the second album and i think probably their most commercial success this is the painter's palette released in 2003 on elitist records because of course yeah. like, <laughs> um so um so like probably should give you some history of Duaf. this is mainly the project of david tiso who's um Normally, like, the guitarist for it, I think, is like, played bass and possibly added some vocals and done, like, programming mm. stuff throughout the career. And he's, like, the constant member of it. The first album um, formula was kind of him and a friend doing sort of, um, I'd say, later Emperor style, like, mm. almost slightly more progressive later Emperor style music, but with a drum machine rather than an actual drummer. And it's a really interesting album. I've only actually heard Reformula, which is like the re, like mm. the, the kind of remaster of it. But then after that album, uh, David recruits uh, a full lineup, like a five as a five member band, and releases the Painter's Palette, which is completely yeah. moves genre, like mm. from from the previous one, like almost unrecognisable as the same band. And it's it's that true sort of avant-garde thing of there are so many genres in here. There's like jazz, rock, hardcore, and bits of black metal as well. There's like mm. loads of progressive influences and like all sorts of instruments and like guest performances and a weird, you know, group of musicians as well because um, David Piovesan, uh, I hope I'm not butchering these too badly, <laughs> the drummer is just from a jazz background and comes into this like weird combination of metal and jazz and hardcore and all these different genres. So, yeah. <laughs> and he looks like the most jazz man ever. He's <laughs> a kind of bald guy with small mustache and amazingly tailored suit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> They, they, this band like are such a weird collective now because then you have mm. the third David in the band, yeah. David Tomelli, <laughs> as the scream vocalist, mm. who's you know this like kind of you know your standard black metal looking dude. Yeah. Uh, David Tomelli is the clean vocalist, though. It's Luciano. Oh, so yeah, yeah, Luciano, it's sorry, Luciano. Yeah, yeah. So with this, with, we have David Ciso, the kind of main guy behind it, is doing all the guitar parts. Then we have Fabio on bass, uh, David. Uh, on drums and then a clean singer and a screen mm, vocalist. Mm. Uh, so I don't know if this was ever. I don't know if this band was ever particularly a live unit. I've never actually 
didn't actually look into because yeah. obviously they've been broken up as soon as I discovered them. So yeah, but yeah, I wonder if this could be reproduced live. Like, we should get into the sound of this. The sound is it's a lot of like incredibly concise, extremely aggressive, fast songs, but doing the aggressive stuff in a completely non-standard way. It's, yeah, it's really fast. Like complete set shifting of what a song's doing mm. every couple of seconds. Every riff will be a new style, a new tone. Yeah. Like the drummer will never stay on one beat. <laughs> like the bass player will always be kind of violently fighting with the sound of the guitars. There's... And there's so many sort of like stop starts as well. It will get to this bit, it'll just completely cut out, and then okay, now we've got this new sort of like jazzy guitar lead coming in. And then these tiny little gaps, sometimes there'll be nothing. Often there'll just be weird guitar, like weird jazzy guitar noises. Um, sometimes just random interjections of slap bass. And then yeah. back into this, like, sometimes, you know, it's these more frenzied, aggressive sections where everything sort of goes wild. But again, without the sort of traditional metal, like crazy distortion and aggression, it's often it's just clean guitar tones and then screams over the top. Yeah, so the, the thing that's really interesting with this album is a lot of the guitar tone is... Not acoustic guitar, it's always electric guitar, mm. but often in a very clean, like maybe just slightly driven tone. Yeah. In, which, that is a, such a rarity in extreme metal. Mm. Mm. I can't think of any other band that use clean tone as much as uh, David Tiso does on this album. And I think it's his real genius as a guitarist was, because you didn't have so much of that on the previous album, and his idea to go down this very jazz-influenced yeah. route has... Yeah, just opened up a sound. Because I can't think of another album that sounds like Painter's Palette. No, not at all. But then, and then, like, there are bits where you still manage to get a supreme amount of heaviness about this. So you get the sort of hardcore aggression and lots of parts of it. Mm. And then on songs like um, Ruins, you get something which there there's probably is a little more distortion in that tone than there is in most of the album. But you still get this, like, really deep, like, rumble from the guitar, like you're used to in, like, much, much heavier bands. And you think, how on earth have you got that? And then are able to just switch into this, you know, really clean sounding jazzy tone with these jazzy guitar leads. And, it st- and, you know, you can sort of get a bit of genre whiplash from that, but it really works for me. That sort of frenetic energy to it, I think, really works. Well, I think the genre whiplash is actually how they've made this extreme. Mm. Like, the trade-off between the two vocalists works really well, because you go from these passages of quite, like, harsh, um, slightly distorted black metal screams, like, yeah. don't you, your classic middle-of-the-road black metal vocals, going into uh, David Tomelli's really, like, wonderful... but odd clean singing yeah yeah it feels sort of like ethereal next to this aggression and like you know really really aggressive black metal stuff it's less of you sort of like really high like shrieking it's more just really in your face Mm. you can certainly see the influence from like hardcore and punk in that as well yeah oh definitely and uh, the other kind of complete departure from normal black metal sounders here is the album's all beautifully produced. This yeah. is like, yeah, yeah. Re- really, everything is super clear in it. Mm. And it's all about getting brilliant tones out of everything. It's not playing with a lot of distortion, mm. which is kind of, I say the core of most black metal sound is that treble heavy distortion. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. having a black metal atmosphere that doesn't use that at all, mm. or very rarely touches on it. Like there's yeah, the odd yeah. tremolo picked distorted riff, but mm. they are 
very few and far between. And and you can you can hear all the instruments so clearly, and you get sort of that chaos and like part of that atmosphere out of them constantly fighting for the sort of space on the album because there's so much stuff going on, and you can still make it all out, but it's constantly at sort of at war with itself. And then add to that that it keeps switching, like you know every few bars it will completely change and a new rhythm will come in. And yeah, it's just so difficult to get your head around at first, but when you do, like as you were saying, it has that extremity to it, but they get it in a completely different way to most bands, particularly black metal bands would get it. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, the other kind of interesting addition to this is we have a guest trumpet player throughout the yeah. album, and honestly, I thought it was a saxophone, because yeah. the trumpet playing really puts me in mind of that John Zorn, like, mm. insane improvised noise, or yeah. if you're more more used to the metal realm, like, um, oh... Jürgen from Shining yes, like yeah, uh, yeah. Sax, sax playing in later Shining and some of Ishan's stuff. It's got a, a lot of that very unhinged vibe from it mm. of just really extreme noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a production as well, it sounds it sounds like you're in the room mm. because of how clear and crisp everything is, and it feels really organic, particularly with the much more like jazz. Well, yeah, just jazz drums essentially. Over yeah, the, yeah. Stuff. It sounds really organic um and you never get the sort of i guess yeah it, it's quite different to the feelings that are evoked by a lot of black metal where it sort of feels like you're in i don't know an underground bunker or a forest like hearing mm. an echo through the environment you're hearing this as if you're in a room with this band as if the jazz band has just gone completely fucking mad <laughs> yeah <laughs> and because of that jazz kind of element i find this has a real like and it, this is probably just a terrible shorthand, but it does have that kind of film noir vibe. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. it's got that kind of slightly darkened atmosphere, especially with the trumpet being added in addition and that clean guitar. Mm. It sounds like those old films, and this gives you like that kind of rainy Chicago yeah. vibe rather than you know middle of a Norwegian forest in yeah. winter. Like, and there's and there's weird stuff going on with the guitars as well. There's one bit I can't remember what song it's from off the top of my head. But there's this bit where the guitar almost sounds like rain. Do this sort of like run down the sort of strings, and it just feels like the guitar is making a rain sound. There's loads mm. of weird stuff like that where you just see these weird noises of like sort of jazzy chords, which are just pushed in a way which makes them sound really odd. Yeah, and, it, it's yeah. it's a very unsettlingly put together album. There's a lot of like slight musical clashing going mm, on mm. and I think the performances of everyone on this is so phenomenal yeah they're, they're yeah. such brilliant musicians without being showy but yeah. just yeah, yeah. the amount the, the ability they have to just like turn instantly between mm. whatever they're doing like time signature changes like changes yeah, in yeah. pace like completely like the bass player switches through so many different kind of <laughs> techniques like he'll go from very like nice like cleanly pick stuff into really fast mm. slap bass into like tapping sections yeah. it's all, all over the place and just seem b- because of the clean production the way it's put together it doesn't seem like they're struggling this never sounds no. like a band who are at the edge of their yeah. ability and, and it's put together so well you know when they switch to doing a completely different rhythm they keep it completely together and I don't understand how you can learn to do that how you can actually manage to you know just turn on a dime like that oh yeah completely and like the the other nice addition, you've got like very poetic lyrics over the top mm. of this. It's 
it just has that kind of very artsy vibe to it. Like yeah. the, the lyrics didn't like evoke nice imagery, but I got no idea what they're on about. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which actually brings me to the the interesting and I don't know if it works gimmick of the album yeah, yeah. is every song has its title. Like for example, track one is the passage, but then in brackets, pearl grey. Yeah. Hence the painter's palette. So every um, track is also a colour. Yeah. So I think yeah, Phil and I both had a go at this of just listening to the album. And with each song, trying to think, okay, what colour does this make me think of? I think I was only close on one of them. Uh, whichever, I can't remember the name of the track, but it's, the colour is crimson and I thought it was blood orange. So I'm yeah, going yeah. to take that as getting that. But the rest of it, I was completely off. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely, if you're going to give this album a listen, give it a go. But I didn't get a single one of them. No, so. no. But I think that, that kind of music evoking colours is definitely a known phenomenon. Mm. But I think it's the point is it's different for everyone. So yeah, this is probably... Yeah. The colours evoked for David, like the main mm. David Tiso, the main writer, but but it's I found it kind of interesting, particularly once I'd had a go at getting them to then look back through it and say, oh right, okay, so this is meant to be this colour, and then you know trying to visualise how the song would make that is kind of an interesting way of listening to the album again. Um, and the other thing that I really like about it is the way that it deals with tension. And, mm. um, you know, a lot of other albums, particularly, you know, the longer stuff that we talk about where you've got much longer songs in like your Doom and Death Metal where, you know, you build tension over time. This, like, the tension is up and down constantly in this and I really mm. like that. Uh, it's, you know, you have these, like, cleaner, like, jazzier sections where, like, you'll sort of build tension throughout it and then everything will go absolutely mad and then it will, you know, break the tension down to nothing and then build it up again and it's constantly going upwards and down throughout the entire album. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so interesting to listen to is you're constantly shifting. The one thing I found quite an interesting choice, I think this is the only, possibly the next one, um, album where there's a two vocalists. Mm. The thing I found quite interesting is they never overlap. They, no. I, I thought for a while until I looked at the lineup that it might be one guy. Yeah, so it's always I, a yeah. scream section and then a clean section, mm. like, or, or whatever kind of combination. Like, some songs are almost entirely screams and vice yeah. versa. But yeah, they never, never try and put the two together, which I guess is just. He's clearly used these as different textures that go at different points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was the same. I thought it was one guy until I actually researched it a bit more. But mm. yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I don't know what I think about that. I think it works perfectly well as it is. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like that's a rare thing for bands which have two vocalists. Mm. I don't know many where they mm. don't attempt to overlap a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we kind of leave this one, I do want to talk about like basically where they went with the rest of their career because I think the next three albums are quite interesting. So the follow-up to this album, uh, Pain Necessary to Know, essentially is the same formula as this, except they've pushed it even further. Like, the amount, the stop-start nature, like, because with Painter's Palette, there's still a lot of catchy riffs, there's still a lot of hooks in the songs. Mm. The next album has pushed up to the point where if anything starts coming close to the hook, it'll instantly stop and be something different. Yeah. It is it is a truly unsettling listen. And to the point where I think most of this lineup were on that album and particularly the the drum David the drummer said after recording it he just didn't understand the album. <laughs> it was just too much for him and, and quit. Yeah. Because it was just too complex and weird. But uh, David Tiso was like, this is an accurate representation of like where I am mentally at the moment, <laughs> which is quite an extreme... Uh... Kind of terrifying in a way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and the follow-up to that is completely mad. It's um, it was the first I heard about the band. I remember mm. seeing them reviewed in Terrorizer and, just, and the reviewer being completely perplexed. But he's written a concept album 
it's more probably more painters palette like if mm. anything like maybe less um aggressive and all over the place as painters palette even but it's a concept album told from the point of view of his dog <laughs> which sounds completely stupid but actually is quite like touching and adorable yeah. Like, the first song is all about how his dog's brought him a present of, like, a dead cat it found. <laughs> and can't understand why the owner's not happy with it. Um, and the really interesting thing there as well, they got, um, like, super drummer Marco Miniman joins for the mm. next two albums. Mm. And this, like, if, you, if you're if you aware of him, he's this incredible drummer who, also the, the guy who's rumoured to have been too good for Dream Theater, yeah, if yeah. you saw the audition videos yeah. for that. And and then the final album, um, uh, David's wife, uh, Karen Crisis, comes in mm. to sing, and that is a head, like probably one of the heavier ones they've done, but is also probably the most straightforward of all of them. Oh, okay, it's yeah. still got the jazz there, but it is definitely more of a straight up. It's it's the one I'd most say is a metal album, whereas mm. the three mm. in the middle I'd say are like avant garde, jet like yeah. post metal jazz. Yeah, and then <laughs> the first album's kind of avant-garde black metal mm, mm. Uh, and and sadly actually and i don't know how how like how much of the truth of this is but uh, i saw sort of a statement saying david then folded the band after the final album because he felt this music was really personal to him he clearly mm. this is like every album is linked to like his mental state at the time and he was just getting too he couldn't take the amount of bad reviews they're getting oh, right. because yeah, they're yeah. such an out there avant-garde band they're definitely in that bracket of band where reviewers who are good at writing like mean reviews love shitting on avant-garde bands because it's really easy to go, yeah. oh, it's pretentious, like what a, what a bunch of wankers. Yeah, you know, and, uh, looking back, you, you know, you look back for the albums and the reception, particularly at the time when it's released, and it's one of those albums that is just either people really love it or they really, really hated it. And I think as well, like a lot of this stuff is really hard to review when you're reviewing it in that kind of as stuff comes out mm. because these albums you don't get on first listen. They yeah. take like five, ten listens. I mean, I mean, this is a hard album to review even if you have the time for it because actually trying to give an accurate description of what's going on in it is really difficult. Like, yeah, I can barely remember what happens track yeah. to track. It's just yeah. like you're, you're in an atmosphere and you're in a headspace with it. And I can maybe remember a melody or two, mm, but mm. like to try, I could not tell you the structure of a song after I listened it's, to it. It's an experience which is really difficult to recount after listening to it because it's such a unique thing to listen to. Mm. But so if you want more for, from David and like his kind of writing style, he has gone on to do a few more bits since. So uh, not long after this project folded, Karen Crisis, who did the vocals for the last album has formed Karen Crisis' Gospel of Witches, which is kind of more in the vein of that last mm. album and, like, features D uh, David on guitar, but then, like, uh, two of the guys from Immolation are in uh, the band right, as well. Nice. And that's, that's got, like, more of a heavier death metal vibe mm. of still the touches of strange jazz in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then also, showing Rob this earlier, a great album that's just come out this year, uh, his new project, The Howling Sycamores, which is... Black metal, except they've got Watchtower's vocalist yeah. on it. And it's, yeah, so it's kind of quite nicely produced black metal with a Dio-esque singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. It's a combination that you'd think that could never work. But the way that the, you know, the music is written for that singer and his really sort of unique style works amazingly. Yeah, yeah. Also, he's joined Aborum for their new album, which is going to be yet another David-based uh, album that's going to get fucking slated. Yeah. So Borum are this kind of 
blackened industrial metal band mm. who have got some quite interesting, quite extreme albums. The newer album sounds like Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got like kind of really clean and atmospheric and it's very, very different. To, like, oh, yeah. say they're all yeah. stuff like psycho grotesque. So I don't know how, I think that's going to, that's been getting a lot of backlash as yeah, far as I've seen. going to be received. Yeah. So yeah, but they, they, he has at least gone on to do a lot more stuff because mm, mm. the guy's fascinating. I think a real unique voice in like metal songwriting and metal guitar playing. Like this guy yeah. has a really recognizable sound and taking influences from all sorts of other genres and bringing them in. You know, that's exactly what you need it, because you know most of the genres which have been created probably are created at this point. So it's all about taking things from the other areas in you know music that they exist and then using them in different ways. And that's exactly what he does in a way that no one else I've ever listened to has managed to do. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it is nice finding that niche in even in avant-garde. Actually, mm. I feel like a lot of um, avant-garde black metal jazz is one of the less explored avenues. Yeah, it seems yeah. avant-garde death metal has a lot of jazz. Yeah, in. definitely. Even if you, if you, yeah, look back at old like tech death bands like where we talked about atheist and cynic and stuff like or that. Or like Pestilence's Spheres is really, yeah. really jazz influenced. But yeah, so seeing that in a black metal setting is mm. it, is really cool. Um, from this album. We, we've got to play the first track because the way this starts is perfect. <laughs> it comes in with a couple of bars of his nice jazzy, clean tone guitar. Then everything comes in, including mad trumpet yeah. playing and just yeah, yeah. completely hits you over the head. It's such the mm. perfect kind of template where the rest of the album's going to take you. So yeah, this is The Passage, Pearl Grey. <laughs> Ah! 
next band we are going to talk about is a band we have spoken about briefly before, and this is Nor- Norway's Ulva. And the album in particular we're going to talk about is one I've been looking forward to talking about for a while. It is Perdition City. So a bit of background on Ulva. They formed back in 1993 and started off as sort of a like folklore-influenced black metal band and increasingly over their career have got weirder and experimented with different genres and techniques and new ideas going all the way through to, you know, like synthwave as they did recently with the assassination of Julius Caesar um, through sort of noise and progressive and electronics and experimental stuff and pop music and, you know, doing film scores as well and yeah. getting really into that. And this album will really sort of bring that forwards. And um, so Perdition City is their fifth album um, released on Jester Records, which is um, Garn or Christopher Rigg or Trickster G or various <laughs> different... He <laughs> used Trickster G for this album. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is, is his own label, which he used to release this in 2000. And this album really represents them moving full onto the sort of like electronic, experimental, like ambient space and really into film music. The album's subtitle is um, Music to an Interior Film and it really gives off that heavily atmospheric but somewhat minimalist approach. Mm. Um, it's, it's just under an hour long, is it? Or I can't remember exactly how it's long it is. It's about 50 minutes, yeah. About 50 minutes, yeah. And it's this... it's. The, it's not structured as normal songs, um, and the Feld Giraffe aren't either, but this is very much structured as sort of like carrying moods and emotions through every single track and feels like it's part of some sort of, you know, city noir style film. Yeah. Um, and it uses an awful lot of stuff in it. So um, Christopher Rigg, Garm, or Trickster G is on vocals, synths, and um, programming the drums, and Tor, I'm going to butcher this surname, Yulzeka? Um, yeah, that's pretty about right. Yes. Yeah, is they're uh, doing synth, piano, and bass. They have a whole bunch of guest musicians as well, including um, a bunch of different people playing bass on various parts of the album, um, and some other drummers as well as um, saxophone. And a lot of it is built around these sort of very open synth-led ambiences, which then moves through with more sort of sometimes jazzier drum patterns and more sometimes synthetics with these sort of atmospheric piano leads over the top. And it sort of takes you on this long journey. Each of the tracks feels very distinct and very rich with a lot of emotion in it, but there's not always a lot going on. It's often notes sort of hanging there for a while and sort of drenching it in this atmosphere with these weird like synth noises over the top of yeah, it. Yeah, like this the core of this album is extremely sparse electronica. Mm. Like this is very much like entirely to build atmosphere with ever so slight textures added yeah. and the, the way they've the, even the lineup's done is you've got the two main guys who clearly composed most of these pieces and it looks like they've brought other people in for like one track to go yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. use your instrument to add a bit of flavour over this like mm. like having uh, Havard uh, playing guitar throughout a few songs doing these incredibly subtle incredibly mm. mellow leads Havard was uh, previously in the band up to this album yeah. and this is the point where he's just become a guest and sort of gone his own direction because mm. like in terms of all the history this is like not the weirdest point because the, the no f- we got no. the first three albums which are your kind of black metal trio although one of them is probably not even black metal yeah. <laughs> um and then that morphs into the band just completely morph on the next album mm. um of the William Blake album, yes, uh, yeah, on themes from heaven and hell or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. which yeah. Is, which is this huge like hundred minute long soundtrack thing, 
Mm. And then Perdition City feels like a much more focused version of the mm. same idea. But like between the Black Metal and the William Blake album, the band has completely changed. They're unrecognisable yeah. as the mm. same project. They've gone from screaming Black Metal into like lovely clean vocal synth music. Yeah, yeah. And um, Garm's vocals on this are like a real standout. He has this sort of not like sort of soulful in a way way of doing vocals but he has this really sort of charismatic presence and a lot of people would sort of go in the Garm sort of style but no one sounds quite like him mm. and he can do an amazing job of doing atmospheric and also quite poppy sounding vocals while sounding incredibly distinct and then on this album he you know they experiment with a lot of sort of spoken word parts as well which yeah really makes you feel like Sort of, you know, LA Noir, LA Noir's a game, Noir and um, sort of underworld style stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And as well with all the lyrics, um, which, yeah, again, it's sort of, as they've said, it's the idea of sort of an abstract city. It's not really a particular one. It's more the state of mind is that you're walking through these dark city streets. And I really get that, particularly if you listen to this late at night or with headphones or something in a dark room, you really get that feeling out of it. It does such a good job of transmitting that like idea of setting to you yeah chris dick from um decibel magazine says the best way to listen to this album is on headphones or walking around like a deserted city at night yeah, like yeah and yeah. i can really see that it's it's yeah it's kind of it has got some like noir atmosphere elements but i'd also say it's slightly sci-fi it kind yeah. of i can see it feels like a slightly kind of sci-fi noir type mm, mm. type idea and the other thing like rob was mentioning of um gums like Garm's vocals are amazing on this, but this is my eternal criticism of, or my, mm. my kind of thing I can never quite get around with Oliver is, I wish he did more. Because yeah. for like, this is like a nine track album, and I think like six of them are instrumental. There's yeah, a lot of vocals I, yeah. on the first track, and then there's quite a long gap. Yeah, but... yeah there's, there's quite a big gap in the middle of the album. Um, and there, yeah, again, there's some odd stuff on here as well. There's, um, I've got the name written down. One of the tracks on it is a uh, Catalep is a remix of the prelude theme from Hitchcock's Psycho. And that just sort of comes in towards the end of the album. It's like sort of the main theme from that. And then it's got sort of a slightly off kilter drum beat over the top of it and some extra stuff added in. Um, Yeah. And so a lot of the song will sort of, they carry the same idea, but they will move around a lot Mm. in terms of the themes that they're getting across, Uh, particularly as you get to the end of the album with Catalep and then um, Nowhere Catastrophe at the end, which is the only song on this album which is structured like a song. Because uh, all the others are, again, more like film music than anything else. And this brings in, you know, your acoustic drums and more like jazz leanings into it. Um, and again, has more vocals than almost everything else on here. Yeah, because I'd say the first and last track, we have these more kind of song-like mm. entities. Whereas, like say, as soon as you get to track two, you have very weird ideas. Like, it's a seven minute long song where in the middle it just sort of goes quiet for a yeah. bit. Yeah, which yeah. is definitely giving that, that kind of feel mm. of a of a film or like something where your mind's meant to be doing something else at this moment. There's almost something yeah. else for you to be focusing on. And it, yeah, it's certainly because I mean, it really marks that period for all where they were starting to do soundtracks for films. So this is them, you know, experimenting with it in their own music. And I don't think this would suit a film because there's too much going on in it. Mm. And it, it, in a sense, it is its own film. If you listen to it, it gives you that, you know, idea of there being a film, but fills it out with more musical things. But um, I didn't realise quite how much you know, film stuff they'd done. Like, the films that I would recognise, they'd done soundtracks for Sinister 1 and 2, which okay. are horror films I haven't seen, but, you know, they're well-regarded. And they've done a lot of stuff in Norwegian cinema. 
So, yeah, this then became a big thing that they did with music outside of Ulva. Well, still Ulva, but not in the sort of albums that they're producing. So it's really marking that transition for them. And having like got to see Ulva live once, like they do mm. a lot with their stuff where um, they have really good video projections mm. that fit the music, and it is amazing. Like This isn't yeah. just like, oh, we've got a cool video to go along with it. It's like there's so much happening in the video that it's perfectly in sync with whatever is like going on sonically on stage, mm. like loads of interesting rhythmic elements and so on. And they have such an interesting live lineup as well. If you have like the real drummer, uh, Garm just normally doing vocals, a guy who like will be playing either like bass, guitar or keyboard, <laughs> and then two other people sat near a load of electronic equipment, no idea what any of it is. Like, it doesn't look like keyboards, it looks like one yeah. of them's operating a switchboard. Like, it, yeah, so it's, it's as, a, as someone who's used to going to gigs where it's just guitars and yeah. drums, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oliver are definitely a weird crossover. Mm. But hilariously, their audience is still, despite being so far removed from it and never mm. playing these songs again, Still mostly black metal people. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of those really interesting things where they've gone on, you know, such a huge journey sonically from where they started. But there's something about it that still keeps a fan base who's very much, you know, more into your traditional black metal, but also really gets hold of something like this. And I think that is part of the sort of dark, slightly unsettling atmosphere that this whole album has. Mm. But it just achieves it in a completely different way and gets a slightly different atmosphere as a result of, you know, the instrumentation that they use. And I think this album's had a massive influence on, you know, being experimental, particularly with electronica in metal, because it's one of those albums, well, with the previous William Blake album as well, where Olva sort of went, yes, you can do this, and you can mm. still get an atmosphere which is fully recognisable to a lot of metal fans. And a lot of metal fans didn't like this album, um, and the one before as well, but I think there's still a massive crowd who really got on board with what they were doing and really understood the sort of thematic way that it linked to a lot of metal that they were interested in. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it, it is that as well, because it's ultra-progressive music, metalheads are clearly, like, definitely the place to start with that, mm. especially people who are into black metal and more atmospheric yeah. uh, bits of metal. Like, we're quite open to just weird stuff, so that's mm. why Over kind of finds a bit yeah. of a home in that crowd. Over an interesting band as well, because they've got so many albums, so they've got, yeah. like... Like, 15-odd albums. Uh, yeah, it's 15 albums. Mm. As many as Annihilator. I'm not going to attempt to listen to all of these, though. Um, and, but, like, in between that, they've got as many EPs again. Yes. yeah. Like, there is so much music. And I feel, I was saying this to Rob earlier, I feel they're in that bracket of, like, someone like Frank Zappa, where mm. it's, like, not there's not going to be many fans of them that like everything they've yeah. done because yeah, they've yeah. tried so many things. Yeah, there's so many different sort of styles and stuff they've experimented with and the chances that you get on with all of these or even that, you know, all the experiments have worked, you sort of expect a lot of it to not work but then the bits that do, oh yeah, particularly comparing this to the album beforehand is that this is a real streamlining of ideas that they previously yeah. tried yeah, out. Yeah, it's almost half the length. <laughs> yeah, into one really sort of I, yeah, maybe not tight by the standards of other albums, but for what this is and for the space that it needs to breathe and have that atmosphere, a really tight package. And like, it should be stated, and it's obvious from what we're saying, this is ultra pretentious music. Like, mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I kind of like that because the fact they've lent into the fact they are ridiculously pretentious and over the top. Mm. They lean into that and they get to access all this stuff you couldn't if you weren't yeah. being complete over the over the top. Like, you know thinking of now writing film scores, etc. Like, the, yeah. the, there's a lot of ideas in this you won't see elsewhere. So and we should say, because I think a lot of listeners 
probably don't know Olver or because mm. Olver are one of the most daunting bands to get into. Yes, say, yeah, yeah. Like, where do you start in that discography? And, and wherever you start, you're going to get something completely different to if you started somewhere else. Because uh, the other two of us, Rob's far more the Olver fan. I'm like mm. really aware of Garm's other stuff. I know mm. lots. Oh, well, not just Garm, like there's a lot of Olver adjacent yeah, bands. Like, yeah. Obviously, you've got like Borknagar and Arcturus, but then there's like quite a lot of the black metal scene you'll find have a member that's been yes, Olver yeah, at yeah. some point. Because other than Garm, the lineups change quite a lot. Mm. But yeah, where's your start point? Wait, what would you say? What would be the first album to listen to? It's it's a tricky one because it massively depends what you're into. The, the bits that I really go to Olver for are, is stuff like this. Uh, mm. The album that I started with was, I think, Shadows of the Sun. Which I think is after this. Yeah, it is. Um, it's yeah. Um, it's a well after this. Shadows yeah. of the Sun's like eight or nine, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a, is a really interesting album, and like again, it it's more poppy than this one, and much less sort of film scorey. But it really got me in with these like subtle but really great hooks and fantastic vocal performances. Um, yeah. I would probably either start with... Again, it depends what you're coming to. If you're coming to it from more of a, like, this sounds interesting, like, Perdition City, and it's, like, exploration of a weird, like, image-inducing film score, then this is one I would recommend starting with. Mm. Um, if you're more into your, you know, your ambience and your spoken word and, like, weird jazz influences, then I'd start with this one. If something a little bit more accessible, then maybe either The Assassination of Julius Caesar or Shadows of the Sun. Um, again, if you want to come at it from the black metal... Um, go and look at the early stuff. Um, Although I like, it should be stated the black metal is the first three albums are almost a different band. I like. Mm, I think mm. Olver very much want to distance themselves from yeah. them. It's it's the thing for me is like when I want to go listen to black metal, I I tend not to go for Olver's stuff. There are other bands which do more for me in that mm. respect. So for me with Olver, it's more about the crazy experimental atmospheric stuff when it really really lands because I think actually of Oliver's albums the one I've listened to the most and this probably shows what a massive poser mm. I am is Childhood's End their oh, covers yeah, album yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is a, a covers album of 60s psychedelic bands mm. like done quite straight up for the most part but they're all bands you've never heard of yes but I think yeah. the most famous band they cover is Jefferson Airplane yeah. it's a cover of Today which is one of the songs sung by their male vocalist mm. which most people don't even know Jefferson Airplane yeah. had a male singer yeah. <laughs> for some of their songs yeah. but yeah there's um, yeah that album's really decent mm. and if you like Garn's singing voice it's a real it's a lot of that yeah yeah and and the other thing I'd say about Over in general particularly Perdition City is that they you know they have a wonderful sense of dynamics where they will have incredibly quiet and soft and almost nothing going on and they can build that into in well in this album you have these weird almost like jazz style breakdown parts which mm. are really odd and then in other albums they will bring in completely different elements to that like in the previous album to this which is is a tough one to get into because it's very long and there's a lot of in, weird stuff mm. going on there are some more metal elements on that and some more like slightly heavier guitars and stuff and they'll juxtapose those things really nicely to each other so yeah, you'll, you'll get something, you might not always get something which is like the perfect sort of tight package, but you'll get loads of interesting ideas, which even as over an incredibly influential band, you won't hear it done in the same way elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think as well, like, this album has some interesting stuff where we do get introductions of like real drums building yes, stuff up. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the, the Future Sound of Music has an ending, which, mm. like, a song is a very, very slow burn, but it's a slow burn to like, the drums suddenly come in and suddenly you've got a heavy piece of music yeah. like from this originally kind of like, yeah, very soundtracky kind mm. of synth thing. 
and like they had a lot of space on this album to do these slow builds yeah. to really big closes. And yeah, I really like that mix of actually taking your, your, your you know your drum machine and your synthetic drums and then mixing in real drum kits as well and doing that in such a way where the first few times I listened to it, I didn't even notice they were doing that. It just sort of felt natural. Yeah, yeah. And actually the drums on that particular song are performed by Bard, um, oh. Faust from Emperor. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a weird connection there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I did, because so I was new to this album before we did this podcast, like Rob just recommended this to me a couple of weeks mm. ago. And I did think this was a really interesting piece. It, I think as well, I'd highly advise listen to it a few times because first yes. time I heard it, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the first track, but then didn't engage with the rest of it so much. And it was every subsequent listen I get when I actually maybe this is better than I've given it credit. Mm. Like mm. the most of the album I now really like. There's a couple of interludes. Like I think We Are the Dead doesn't really work. We Are the Dead is is the one where pretty much nothing happens for about four minutes. And... Yeah, yeah. That was like I was like, this is a bit much. Yeah. So there's the thing and I've only listened to it like five or six times now, so I'm pretty just need to get more time. There's a few moments of the very, very quiet bits where I'm like, I could do with something more here. Yeah. Uh, like but then this might be something that makes more sense if I yeah, if I do as Chris Dick says and walk the streets and listen to it, it might yeah. Suddenly makes sense. It's a it's a weird listen to get your head around because I had the same thing when I first started listening to this album. Is that it does have those moments where very little is happening, and it mm. it just takes a bit of a different approach as a listener to really you know get into this album and listen to it like you might others because there are moments when not much is happening. But yeah, I find it a really rewarding and interesting listen. You know, you can break up much more extreme albums with it when you want something that's a little less intrusive but more atmospheric and still has that like really intense sort of imagery to it when you listen to it you sort of imagine the things that are going on and like you know dark city streets and stuff like that it's yeah it's a it's an album that i listen to still to this day quite a lot yeah yeah it, it, I, I think it is definitely going to be a grower for me so mm. I'll, I'll see if i like i'm still like, yeah. if i've got a better opinion about it in a year's time will yeah. be really interesting yeah, yeah. So what track are we playing for this one? So from this one, I think we're going to finish with the last track, which is one of the tracks which is structured like an actual song. Mm. Um, and this is Nowhere Catastrophe. You know what I mean? 
So the next album we're covering is by far and away, I think, the most normal of the four we're doing mm, today. Mm. Still a very unique and certainly avant-garde album. So this is an album that got a lot of praise around 2016 when it came out. This is Aranzi Pazuzu's fourth album, which I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the title of. Uh, it'll be in the show notes yeah, because yeah. this band write entirely in Finnish and Finnish is a bloody hard language to pronounce if yeah. you're not used to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it begins with V. It's like... But yeah, that's as far as I'm going to get. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. There's too many accents for us to try to work out what's going on. So, um, Aranzi Bazuzu are quite an interesting band. They've basically just crossed over two genres. And not in that kind of um, opeth manner. It's like, oh, we're going to like move between them. Mm. They basically layered them over each other. They're kind of a mixture of kind of your early black metal but then mixed with like psychedelic 60s rock. Yeah. yeah and yeah. It, it's a melding of those two sounds and taking the long, sprawling atmosphere of, of like, you know, your your typical, like, early dark for an album, these, like, seven-minute long songs, 
and layering psychedelic keyboards and mm. like those kind of psychedelic bass grooves over that kind of thing to make it a kind of just an atmospheric piece that's kind of more maddening and engaging and less um get less wildernessy and more yeah. just yeah, more just sixties feeling, but it's yeah. black metal that feels sixties. Yeah, but it still has you know that satanic or esoteric edge mm. to it, which makes you think that this could you know some form of ritual or cult or something like that. So the the band's made up of um, like the standard two guitars, bass and drums, and then a keyboards and mm. synth guy, and all the vocals are screams over it. So it's not it's not doing the psychedelic by bringing in clean vocals, which I think is why. The two always seem so neatly melded. Mm. And the way they do a lot of this is to have... Like, they're a band who clearly write by jamming. Because yeah. these are very slowly evolving, like, slightly changing, immensely complex riffs that go on yeah. forever. Yeah, you'll have these sort of... I uh, The first track starts off with, you know, this sort of, like, hypnotic, almost Eastern-sounding melody. And then mm. you have synths and effects building up over it. And it just gradually builds. And then you have this, like, powerful drum groove coming in. Um, particularly with the drum grooves, they remind me a little bit of um, Norwegian Shining. Um, I was going to say, so, yeah. yeah, the first track particularly has got a lot of Norwegian Shining going yeah. on. You've got the drum grooves, but then you've also got the vocals, which are this kind of scream mm. with added... Um, distortion yeah, and the way yeah. all the guitars and synths are kind of meshing and melding really has a black jazz uh, yes. feel to it yeah, if you know yeah. that album this song is like the most evocative I've ever heard another band get to because mm, mm, black jazz definitely. is completely unique in Shining's catalogue like yeah. they've just done that once yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah I, this first track is is an incredibly engaging start to mm. the album because it starts kind of gently but then very quickly builds to an absolutely huge sound yeah. and they drive this crazy intensity with uh, as they build in different instruments they'll build in you know extra synth effects over the top of it uh, to points where you know you have like this uh, like crazed Hammond organ going at mm. some points and it just drives the intensity further and further and every type of instrument like that they add over the top is just pushed to the mo most intense way they can get it um, and yeah, with these huge builds where they keep adding stuff in and in and in, and yeah, it's an amazing drive. And the thing is, as well, the songs do a lot of like building to a crescendo, then mellowing out for a long time. You say, like, after the crescendo, you get like just synths ringing out for a while, mm. and then the drums will start coming in with a, like a repetitive but interesting groove that'll just like. Like almost this kind of like tribally rhythm on the toms, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that will build things back up, and then you'll start like a little guitar melody will come in over the top, and then usually the catalyst for getting big again is the bass will come in with this really huge sound, and yeah. then the drums and the bass lock in, and you just get this massive assault, and mm. the, the vocals tend to only be over these like really heavy passages yeah. like, the vocals are really sparse on this album mm -hmm. and there's yeah the, the bass does an amazing job on this album and there's some songs where you have the big build and as part of that build this you know distorted bass riff will come in and then you'll be like alright oh, okay that's what we're going to build up to and then th again the bass sound is amazing it sounds so sinister throughout the album um, but again like has it like that almost you know, that shining style of like driving rock feel to it almost mm. and then it will build that up and then the guitars will come in as well and everything will sort of set off with these really fast sort of aggressive drum beats um, and yeah as you were saying there's, there's these really almost like triangle percussion sections in it as well, well particularly in the second track uh, larger mm. yeah. um, there's it's mainly kind of this synth 
um, like this kind of synth layer, and then this yeah, this driving tribal sounding drumming, which mm. is super reminiscent of like later neurosis. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel there's some really like neurosis isms in here of taking a long time with a repetitive mm. but like engaging sound and slowly building up, up to something yeah. massive. And that song, uh, Larger, actually has a really great music video because it's one of the shorter tracks, only about five minutes or so. Mm. And it's got this amazingly sort of evocative music video where it's just an awful lot of imagery is happening and it uses a lot of sort of white and red as the colours for it, uh, which is really great. And I'm, I'm this annoying me. I saw some people in the comments section saying that... Um, the video had too many colours to be true um, and it wasn't <laughs> cult enough. And I was sort of like, no, this is exactly what you want with this. Like this really evocative, like colourful and like lots of contrast as well really fits in with their sound. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think this is the eternal argument you'll have between the black metal purists and those that engage this kind of music. There, mm. there is that like, what is true? And I, I feel like, I think Ishan's spoken about this and a lot of others have. Yeah. I feel essentially black metal is an aesthetic. It's an idea. Yeah. If, you, if you can make sinister left field music, like unengaging, pretentious, um, scary sounding stuff, that's black metal. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't need to fit a rule set because no. the whole point was the second wave of black metal was born out of a total rebellion against jocks taking over death metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this why there was corpse weight is why, um, like like while the bass went and like there was less groove and more atmosphere because mm. they were trying to do experimental artsy sounds that would piss off people. Yeah, because yeah, it yeah. wasn't massively masculine. It was exactly just weird. Yeah. And and that's why bands like Orange Pazuzu are you know doing that today because they're pissing off the people who've decided that black metal has a rule structure. Yeah, yeah. And so that's completely counter to the spirit of black metal. It should keep surprising you and keep you know making these like scary, sinister atmospheres in new ways. And that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the the only band that I find vaguely reminiscent of this kind of sound they've gone for is uh, Hail Spirit Noir from Greece, mm. who were previously transcending bizarre, transcending bizarre question mark. Who um, they kind of combine psychedelic old rock and black metal, but I feel like if you compare the two, Aranzi Bazuzu just do it so much better because it's so it's not having moments of each. It's yeah. everything is happening just at once, slotting them together into one thing that sounds like bits of both, but neither at the same time. Because there are moments in this I found very reminiscent of. Hell's Bernard are like mm. similar kind of chord progressions and so on but for some reason this just nails it so much better mm. and keeps it so much more atmospheric and actually a big thing that I find really helpful on this is because it's all finished I've got no idea what's going on lyrically mm. Mm. and because the songs are so atmospheric I kind of like having no idea what's happening lyrically. Yeah, I, I quite like that as well it's it's really cool I think when bands sing in their native tongues and mm. it's, it's a shame that because of you know the way that the world is more bands do sing in English because it's way easier to get exposure that way but it gives it that little bit of an air of mystery where you're like i have no idea what's actually going on here and that really adds into the atmosphere of it yeah yeah definitely um the the band's lineup uh so this is their fourth album the lineup's been pretty much constant although guitarists might quit after this album mm. but i've gone back and listened to some of their like earlier stuff in preparation for this and it feels like this album is just like a culmination of a trajectory they've been on right from day one. Mm. Like all their albums are this kind of very long, very atmospheric building progressive music. This one is just the point where they nail the tone, they nail yeah. the song structures a lot better. 
like yeah it's just very exciting music and mm. I love that this is actually being picked up and this band seemed to be getting yeah. a real following considering being from Finland doing black metal singing in Finnish is not an obvious ticket to success but yeah. these guys like yeah, playing yeah. Uh, playing Roadburn like do you see the amazing thing that actually I think it was a Roadburn they did recently where mm. they performed as a band called the Wastes of Space Orchestra <laughs> uh, which was with members of Dark Buddha Rising who are another like, oh, interesting yeah, yeah. Yeah, black cool. metal project and it was two full bands oh, performing this bizarre slightly improvised yeah. like extension of this noise so it sounds like these guys are really reaching out and trying weird weird yeah. stuff I think Waste of Space Orchestra is purely a live project yeah well, that sounds really cool to catch and one of the other things that I really like about it as well is mixing in with this sort of like 60s psychedelic thing there are these chord progressions which feel slightly as if they're you know your more classic rock chord progressions mm. but there's something slightly wrong about them there's like a note that's misplaced or it's just the tone of the guitar or it's something to do with what's in the background that makes them sound completely different within this context and I really like that it takes that psychedelic thing and gives it that evil edge which mm. you wouldn't normally think is there yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I all want to mention this just because of constant connections to this guy, but John Hiss, the vocalist slash guitarist in this band, is also in Grave Pleasures with mm. the original vocalist of Code, who <laughs> seems to be involved in, like... Constant, yeah, yeah. There's such an overlap between the guys from Code, the guys from Virus, mm. like, they just yeah, seem to be yeah. all over. <laughs> I love how intertwined the experimental, like, yeah, Alan black yeah, metal yeah. scene seems to be. So... Like, I've got to say it because there is a slight issue with the album, I find. of It's about 70 minutes long and it's very mm. experimental. I would say it's a bit overly long. Yeah, but. yeah, I think I generally agree with you. Um, I think even some of the longer tracks I actually really like. I can't, mm. I can't dance it. There's one that's 17 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. I really like that and I think it pretty much deserves its entire runtime. I'm just not sure if we need all of the tracks on it. Yeah, I think it's an album like I'll normally get through because it's around the middle mark, the, the big 17-minute one. I'll normally get through that song because it's a big yeah. journey, like a 17-minute song, mm. like complete with like a, a full sort of almost silence in the middle and yeah. then it builds to like a big ending. That feels like a crescendo to the album. Yes. And there's two more songs that are both over 10 minutes yeah, afterwards. Yeah. So you're like, this is... To release an album that is 17 minutes long is a hell of a thing and to make that consistent... It, like it is relatively consistent I just find this hard to digest in one sitting yeah yeah I could totally because it's not to say that the other songs are bad or don't deserve to be there it's just with this style of music I feel it could have been a really consistent slightly shorter album mm. and the other songs could have been used elsewhere um, but yeah I don't know I think that's yeah we tend to like albums that are shorter and a bit more consistent so yeah yeah just like that kind of tight style of songwriting but that does kind of fly in the face of it being such like jammed out music mm, this is clearly yeah, yeah, yeah especially with doing stuff like Waste of Space Orchestra these are kind of guys who clearly have an extremely good ability to write on the fly and kind mm. of build stuff out of you know being given a melody by someone else yeah. and yeah, just yeah. layer that up like on the go which is is incredible. Mm. Also, these guys are on Svart Records, and notice which yes. I think loads of other bands we've covered in yeah, this series. Yeah, there's some of, loads of interesting stuff on there. Yeah, have been been on that label. So, yeah, they, they, they seem to be really interestingly placed to go forward and do way more, way more stuff. And I'm kind of excited to see what's happening. Oh, going to happen next because yeah. 
this is like middle 2016, so mm. we're probably due a follow-up like relatively soon. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see what direction it's gone in from this, because this really takes that mixing psychedelic and black metal and sort of perfects it in a way. So it'd be really interesting to see what comes next from that. Yeah, yeah. They have actually since released two EPs I haven't mm. actually got around to listening to yet, so... And that that's going yeah. to be the first two without um, without like the the guitarist who'd been with him all that time. Uh, so yeah. yeah, well that'll go. Mm. I imagine at the moment though these guys are slightly going quiet if John Hess is playing with uh, Grave Pleasures because that's mm. like Grave Pleasures are doing very well at the moment. So yeah. I imagine that's quite a high demand as well. But yeah, from this we didn't have much choice of what to play just because the songs are so long. But we thought we'd go for the same same track as the the video track they did, mm. larger track two, which is kind of yeah, kind of neurosisy in places, yeah. but yeah, yeah. you know, a black metal take on neurosis, I guess. And, and definitely check out the video for this one as well, because again, it's only a sort of five minutes. They haven't cut anything off it, which is always a thing mm. that's really annoying with music videos. It's the full song, just with some really great imagery to go along with it.
The next band we're going to get to is uh, one I've wanted to cover for a while because they're mad. Um, and yeah, I've been quite a fan of especially their later stuff. Um, this is the British band, the Meads of Asphodel, and we're going to cover their fifth and latest album, uh, Sonder Commando, from uh, 2013 on Candlelight Records. This is only their fifth album, but this, these guys have a myriad of EPs, splits, and other stuff. Like They actually formed later than I expected. They formed around 1998, and mm. so were post the initial wave of black metal. And have always been a band, if you've never come across them before, who have a completely odd take on black metal. Like, yeah. it, it is solely unique, partially due to vocalist Metatron's bizarre screaming technique. Mm. But also just to do with, like, they're a band who are clearly heavily engaged on, well, like Hawkwind-sounding uh, yeah. old prog mixed with elements of modern black and death metal. Yeah, yeah, all the way from sort of like the early parts of black metal that happened just before they formed all the way through to more modern parts like today. And they have such a distinct sound in the way they do things and production-wise as well. This whole album sounded so organic and live to me. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't sound as if it's being produced at all. It sounds <laughs> as if you're there and listening to this whole thing. We think all the these albums have this like a very rough and ready sound mm. to them, which is interesting because they're a massively complex band who like mainly base their songs around throwing as many elements as physically possible into mm. them. Often just by like with this one and the previous album, Murder of Jesus the Jew. Um, by getting in hundreds of guest performers to add like <laughs> yeah. whatever uh, whatever instrument yeah. they like over the top, um, the big change between this album and the rest of their catalogue. Previously, they'd been very like you know, down the road, like anti-religious, anti-Christianity yeah. kind of stuff. This album moves into an extremely heavy lyrical themes mm. of essentially dealing with the Holocaust. Yeah. And the, the the horrors therein, and doing it in an immensely visceral way. Yeah, and I I think you have to give them amazing credit for this album because if you if you do read through all the lyrics and the lyrics for the Meads are fantastic, like they're incredibly poetic and really sort of visceral, and um, and they've you know taken on what is probably the hardest topic to make an album about at all. Um, and the extra depth that they've explored it with, uh, Sonder Commando, and I didn't know this before I listened to the album, is a, often a Jewish prisoner who was forced to dispose of bodies at concentration camps. I was completely unaware of this being a thing. Um, yeah. And they, they deal with this in an amazing way. Um, of, you know, not, it's not really taking a stance on anything. It is more just exposing horror. And it's yeah, almost yeah. in a neutral sense of an observer and through the lyrics just saying this, these are the things that happened. And it's disgusting because of how horrible all this stuff was. But I think it's quite interesting because say um, they have a track which obviously would be a red flag to most people called Children mm. of the Sunwheel Banner. But I think yeah. it's quite cleverly done in the first half of it is almost just saying like the kind of the the Nazi viewpoint. But they just keep twisting it slightly to make yeah. it seem more hideous and like more kind of aggressive and hate filled than mm. you would get some of the time explaining it. And yeah. it, it just has that thing of like making you despise the people responsible mm. for this even mm. more. Like I think it's cause it is one of those things like we're so at the moment, like, well not at the moment, like we have been for years kind of dulled to the Holocaust because it's such yeah. a it's such a part of everyone's history, especially in Europe, where you're just like, oh yeah, that was that thing that happened. It yeah. was really bad. Yeah, yeah. To have something really dive into it again every so often 
is kind of important to do, I oh, feel. Definitely. It's like, you just kind of need to be reminded, like, oh shit, this is what happens I when think, tyrants I, yeah. get out of control. And I think particularly in metal and black metal as a whole, where you do have bands where they don't report on these things in a way which is okay at all and they mm. glorify things like this which is absolutely not okay it's amazing to have an album which not only presents the complete opposite narrative of the real horror that existed but also goes into it and creates a full artistic piece as a mm. result of this and a bit that really stuck stuck with me from the first song um was and again this is about Sonder Commandos and it was the amazing clean vocals as a you don't have to die to walk in hell um, and then hell is here it's, it's about a life of you know you as a prisoner being forced to dispose of you know your fellow you know countrymen and friends and yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, and being vilified for that because mm. people you know hated you and you can see why but it's an impossible situation it's you know it's horror beyond anything that I think any other black metal album, as evil as it is, nothing approaches this level of horror because this is all real. Yeah, yeah. They, they, it, it was a, a very interesting choice for a lyrical theme and I think they're incredibly brave to attempt it. And I do mm. think, for the most part, they've had a measure of success yeah. representing it. There's moments that I'd say cross into a bit pantomime stupidity with it, but this because the Meads is such a kind of all-over-the-place band... That will happen. I still mm. think it, I'm really glad they attempted to cover it. And as Rob said, the first track um, really does it in a good light because it's like a 12 minute long song that starts. Mm. The first half is this ultra melodic um, passage with like kind of like the kind of gentle sounds of like train noises in the yeah. background, yeah, which yeah. Is secretly hideous in this context yeah. and so on, but like sung quite melodically and like. Beautifully over, like, light drumming, bass, and, like, keyboards. And uh, uh, guest vocalist uh, Will Banyard, who was doing vocals on the previous album, is an amazing singer who I don't mm. think does anything else other yeah. than occasionally singing on their songs, but has this really beautiful, mournful, high voice. Yeah. He's leading that whole first thing through with this just quite sad melody. And then halfway through, sort of, Metatron comes in. And just all hell breaks loose. Yeah, and the, yeah, the guitars yeah. come in, and suddenly you've got this really like thrashing, like like kind of black and thrash type yeah, sound yeah, going really on. Yeah, sort of aggressive. Like you can feel this riff from like an early Bathory thing or something like that, or Venom. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like Metatron, as you were saying, has a really unique way of doing black metal vocals. And the way that it works for me is it's sort of like your sort of early black metal vocals when people were trying to work out what to do sort of mixed with like a gruff Englishman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's sort of what you've got, but it, it's completely unique and it sounds like nothing else and it gives it this sense of personality and I really, really like it. It's nice to see people taking a fresh take and it harkens back to that time where no one knew what they were doing with vocals and so people just tried stuff and yeah, sometimes yeah. it worked and I think that's one of these examples. And then they, I think Metatron does give this a super unique sound as well as like... Um, James Tate, the guitarist, uh, yeah. keyboard player, and uh, other like screamed and clean vocalists in this, um, he has a very clever way of writing where he will just meld genres together on mm. the fly. Like mm. he moves through, a, like he's a very underrated guitarist because he's got this amazing ability to just play seemingly any style he's given. Yeah, because the yeah, needs yeah. are always combining about every single musical genre they physically can. Yes, hence yeah, why yeah. things often do kind of come across as slightly silly because it's just so many movements and so many kind of changes in direction mm. often into like from very grinding blackened 
death metal or black and fresh into like really beautiful melodic keyboard driven yeah, like yeah. rock like, and there's bits on like um, Last Train to Eden where you have these sort of like really dynamic and jazzy style drums um, and it putting these elements in there like really gives the different parts space to breathe your heavy bits are more aggressive and heavier because they have parts around them which aren't as heavy um, and that allows and it, yeah it feels it feels like a journey and it feels like there are real narratives going on here because of the contrast between these elements. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there is just so much to talk about with this album as well. Like, it's a hugely long piece mm. when much of the previous one. There's so many... They keep it very interesting because every song is completely different to the last. Yeah. Like, the following two after, like, Sonder Commander, these kind of short, tight, very melodic uh, guitar-led pieces. Then we get into track four, The Silent Ghost of Baba Yar, which starts as this hefty, slow yeah. black metal piece. And then suddenly is the most melodic, clean sung yeah. yeah. moment of the album. Like, this absolutely beautiful passage, again, mm. led by, I believe it's Will singing again on this part. And it is just mind blowingly emotional yeah. after what was one of the more hideous <laughs> start points. Yeah. And yeah, then we get into Children of the Sun World Banner Part One. Which I don't know what the fuck's going on here, and I hate yeah. that I enjoy this so much. <laughs> the first part of it is like a kind of like essentially, I think like a Nazi folk song, yeah, which yeah. they've then put an electronic drum beat to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like then that gives way to part two, which starts with these hideous, like grinding electronic mm. sounds. Like, I don't mm. know what's doing it, and we get this hyper aggressive song, like yeah. which is like essentially them laying out the the philosophy of the people behind this stuff. Mm. And it's really fucking intense. Yeah. Well, the, the, the sort of, the structure of the lyrics and the vocals in this was amazing because they have this, it's either just extra vocalists overdubbed or it's effects, which when they have this bit where they sort of scream Teutonic hell, they add all this extra stuff to it. And it just sounds like this demonic roar, which just hits you. I believe that's uh, Maurice from uh, Norway Tongues. Oh, okay. Uh, he yeah. does a couple of guest vocals on this. Norway Tongues yeah. are another one of those super avant-garde bands I want to get more into, mm. but they have like 10 albums, so I have never yeah. managed to make a start But, it, but it works really well as this exchange of the sort of Teutonic hell that they're saying and the other lyrics around it that Magitron is doing. Yeah, it just, yeah, it's really, really intense, but not in a way that you'd think black metal would normally be. It uses these like vocals right at the front. And again, it's highlighting the subject matter, which you sort of have to if you do it this way. You can't really compromise on that. Also, I think this song is a kind of slightly subtle attack on those that are kind of... Um, hiding behind the, the Astashru kind of, if I'm saying that right, like that kind of philosophy of those, like, oh no, we're not Nazis, we're just like all Viking-y. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, yeah, there's there's a lot of that, like, mm. hidden under the surface of black metal. And, like, it was nice to have an attack on that. But then, yeah. like, as a respite to this, the song ends with this massive guest keyboard piece yeah. uh, by... Um, uh, Mirai of Psy. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's been a thing for the the previous album Mirai composed loads of keyboards for mm. and uh, Metatron always does a guest spoken word passage on all the newer Psy albums. Yeah. So once again, the bands in these avant-garde seems yeah. weirdly tying together. Crossing over, which is really nice. And these guys do have a lot of overlap inside of being that kind of like regularly shifting between genres to a kind of... Mm like an almost ridiculous degree yeah and again like with the guest performances on this they often there's lots of weird instruments going on and um, in the song which send my love there's violins in it 
There's harmonica in um, The Musulmans, the ridiculously long titled song. There's all of this stuff. And it creates these really, because of the way they produce the sound in this really organic live way, it creates these sort of unstable sounding mosaics, which sort mm. of just about hold themselves together with all these elements. And some, and they sort of meld together because you can't always pick out everything that's going on. But it's crafted in such a way that it creates exactly the response that you want from it. It never feels like you get lost. It just feels like another element has come to the fore mm. of it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, actually a really good example of this is Hourglass Vash, which is mm. one of the tracks towards the end where it just moves between a load of different textures. You have this like bizarre kind of like kind of this almost circusy repeating melody mm. in it but then like partway through a, like out of this kind of hideous like almost um fantafraxif type like yeah, yeah kind of weird spinning sensation melody you suddenly get this really beautiful saxophone passage yeah. coming <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. leading leading into a kind of catchy thrash riff but then like after this repeats for a bit the song then breaks down into being this kind of like uh clean female and male vocal mm. trade-off at the end um and yeah, it's just like it's a completely impossible song to follow what yeah. just happened. Yeah, but, yeah. but that's how you hear it. It's like, I didn't expect any yeah. of that to <laughs> yeah. just happen. Yeah, but it's one of those sort of incredible journeys, which is really hard to recount exactly what happened in it. But while you're going through it, it has that constant thing of what on earth is coming next? And then you get something else, but it progresses in a really natural way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I like... I had the, the final track of the album I find really powerful because it does the... It's kind of just a two-minute kind of gentle outro. But in it, Metatron, it basically just in his normal voice, reads out the terrifying kind of mathematics of the Holocaust and yeah, like, yeah, just the yeah. calculations of how they got rid of that many bodies. And it's a really powerful way to leave the album yeah. and I think that's one of those things we often talk about little album outros some, like sometimes not really serving a purpose mm. but this completely ties up the narrative themes of the album and makes sure that you don't leave it without fully understanding the horror of what this is all based on it's very much tightly based around Metatron's sort of vision lyrically and conceptually mm. for what the album is exploring and it this outro ties that up perfectly like it it would be a worse album without that there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, back to what Rob was saying a while ago, the reason it has this slightly live feel to it as well mm. is because bar the drums, which were recorded in studio, everything's just recorded in James's house. Like, James <laughs> and Zaris's house. Like, oh, yeah. So, like, it's, it's just, like, it's why it feels kind of so rough and ready, but mm. it totally suits the sound. And I think something that really helps actually get around this sort of rough and ready feel is bass player Alan Davy, previously of Hawkwind fame, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. has this huge bass sound underneath it, because like, that's a big part of what drive, drives Hawkwind. Mm. And this this like bass guitar tone is really high in the mix, and between that and uh, drummer Andre's like, amazing performance, everything kind of sounds pretty amazing, yeah. despite it being rough yeah. as fuck. It's an interesting sort of comparison to your you know, start of black metal bands who you're recorded in their garages and made you know stuff which has that true production to it where it basically just sounds like shit but it sort of works for the genre they're going with this sounds way warmer than mm. like sort of more open while being a bit rough and ready it doesn't have that like screech that old black metal had where the recording just wasn't really working properly but you got something interesting out of it yeah but yeah. they make this work in a completely different way for something which can have these amazingly beautiful moments as well as heavy and aggressive but still sounds very different yes yeah totally um 
can't remember where I was going to go next on this. But yeah, there's just like a load of interesting things about this album because they, they do sound completely unique. I would highly advise going back and checking out the previous album because mm. that's uh, Murder of Jesus to Do. I think that's got a lot of really intelligently made elements. I don't think it's quite as consistent as this mm. one, but it does have some of the meads, like absolute pinnacle of like bizarre songwriting yeah. coming off as yeah occasionally this stuff comes across as absolute genius because they'll combine two elements you've never thought of combining mm. and that one like goes a lot more into kind of like almost like hymn structures in place yeah and, oh, yeah 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 and from what Metron said there's sort of a conceptual link as well the murder of jesus the jew is about anti-semitism and how it's been fueled throughout the world yeah yeah that then obviously comes to a head in an album which is about the holocaust so there's a conceptual link between those albums yeah, yeah. Well, like, like in the previous album, he uses the resurrection as a metaphor for how the the death of Jesus exactly, essentially ended up being this catalyst for hatred of Jews across mm, the world, which yeah. is, yeah, again, like they don't shy away from intense subject no, matter. No, no. So I wanted to get into as well. If you never looked up this band, they have a very interesting image, yeah. which is <laughs> Metatron, like not his real name, obviously. Um, no one knows what he looks like either. Mm. Like. This band always present themselves in full suits of armor, <laughs> but like they don't, one of the only bands I think of where one of them's anonymous and the rest yeah. aren't. Yeah. <laughs> so they're regularly in suits of armor, but normally the other members don't wear helmets. So <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a weird yeah. choice, but I kind of like it. And it, also, like they've never played live. They kind of Metatron's pretty much put his foot down and said he's never going to do it because he mm. doesn't know how they're going to make it good. Um, so yeah, they they. They exist in this quite weird space of just being this strange entity just releases yeah. surprising albums every so often mm. and there's not much more much more out there about yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I think a huge amount like a huge amount of credit for how crazy this is has to mm. go to James Tate and his yeah. strange songwriting and ability to combine genres like this. Mm. Because again, from interviews as well, a lot of the stuff is Metatron has a sort of you know lyrical and conceptual view of the album, and now James Tate is bringing along his musical influence to try to realise that as a full album, and that's a, an amazingly tall order, particularly with the number of styles that are brought in here, and actually you know managed to bring them together in such a way that helps all of them rather than detracting from any of them. Is a hell of a talent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Um... We'd have to go for like a short one of the album, so we're going to go for one of the tracks at the end. Rob, would you like to read yeah, out which, the name of this song? Ironically, <laughs> has the longest. I think it's the longest song title I'm aware of. Uh, what is it? The Muslims wander through the infernal whirling fires among silent shadows to be fed into the firsting jaws of a godless death machine to cough up their skulls to the Nazi Moloch who sits within a ring of smoking infant skulls.
completely unconnected to all the black metal stuff. Um, I recently came across uh, a, a friend's band, like who finally got round to getting a recording out. Um, so yeah, this is another nepotism corner section. Mm. This is the London-based band Hand of Doom, who, conversely to title uh, like a kind of band name, I really thought they were going to be like stonery doom yeah. stuff. Yeah, named after the like fantastic Sabbath song, which mm. is often you know not repped as much as it should be. I mean, that whole album's fantastic, but yeah, yeah. But the, what these guys actually play is some kind of, I guess, like kind of the heavier end of thrash. Like I get a yeah. bit of there's like a bit of a Voivod influence going on, mm. but there's also a bit more of like an extreme metal thing going on. Yeah, there's a bit there's a bit of a death metal influence in there. There's a few sort of like much faster riffs from like yeah, this this feels like it's a death metal riff. So this is their debut ET manifestation, which came out like a couple of weeks ago, mm. I think. But yeah, this is like really short and to the point. It's just four tracks. But it is extremely heavy thrash yeah, yeah, yeah. with like vocals. Think in the general Tom Angel Ripper mm. vibe, like yeah. that, just yeah. like intense screams. But also quite low in the mix, which was I quite like. Like the vocalists are quite, um, the vocals are quite few and far between. Mm. And like, and it's a classic power trio, which is something yeah, I love in really thrash, great. but has kind of disappeared in modern and times. It, and, it, and for doing that as well, you know, just having your bass guitar and drums, it gets this amazing power, particularly to the faster riffs, where because the bass is high in the mix um, and you've only got one guitar, you get this huge sort of pounding wall of noise, which has so much low end, which you often miss out when you just have another guitar filling in that slot because you drop the bass a little bit. But again, and even the slower riffs as well, like they just have power and weight to them, which makes everything sound, you know, so much more impactful. Yeah, yeah, and like I think what really kind of is essential if you've got this kind of three piece, everyone's got to be performing at full ability, yeah. and the drummer on this sounds incredible. Yeah. Like, like all the stuff they came up with this, this is really well written drums. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. They, they are interesting the whole way through. There's some great bits where it's like switching in and out of blast beats and it's right towards the end of the EP where, you know, like there's a temptation particularly of a lot of more extreme death metal and stuff just to like throw in the blast beat to ratchet up the intensity. But switching it around with other beats makes it really interesting and it feels really different. Um, and then there's bits where you can see the influence of something like Sabbath. There are some like groovier, heavy riffs, which I really like as well. And again, you just have to you have to adapt your playing style to do something like mm. that. It won't work with you know more standard death metal drum beats. So you have things which are more doom or stoner, but still much more aggressive and thrashy than Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. Like the guitar playing's excellent. This is re like this is really riffy thrash metal yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't heavily rely on chugging. It's mm. a lot more like most of the riffs from this album are super memorable. Yeah. The leads are really well put together as well. Mm. It, it just feels as well like I assume the band must have been going a little while now because yeah. this seems really tightly written. This feels like a yeah. band who have definitely slimmed it down to their their best moments mm, mm. and also the bass gets a couple of really nice moments to shine in yeah. as well there's some cool little fills and so on you can you can hear cutting through at certain moments yeah and it's that thing of a power trio where like when the guitar is doing some of the more high up leads the bass gets time to shine and mm. that's really nice to hear the different textures that you know often don't come through in a lot of bands where you have the standard dual guitars yeah yeah but yeah essentially this is just really well written slightly progressive heavy end thrash which yeah, yeah. like actually not too done to death as much as thrash is kind of overplayed at the moment mm -hmm. like I feel like bands taking on that slight Voivod influence 
I'd still have a lot of time for as yeah. a lot of bands more following the Metallica template I'm kind of sick of. And, and getting things a bit heavier and taking in influences from the more extreme side of metal mm. I think really works. You know, down tuning and just making things heavier and more aggressive. It just sounds a little bit more thrash. Yeah, yeah. But this is like, this is one of those EPs where it's an amazing start point for a band. Mm. Like, obviously, it's debut EP. The sound of it's not incredible. It's fine, yeah. but it's yeah. not. I'm not really a fan of the drum sound on this. Like the yeah. performance is amazing, but the the sound isn't great. Yeah, but again, for a debut EP to manage to get like the perfect sound straight away is pretty much impossible. Yeah, so. exactly. I like. I really want to see more from these guys, and I think they must. Like, I'd assume they must be a great live act. Yeah, like, yeah. If they pull these songs like. off live, it's going to mm-hmm. be an intense gig. Yeah, but yeah. So. Um, yeah, so at the end of the show, we'll play a track off their debut EP, Manifestation. In fact, the, the intro track, uh, yeah. Manifestation. So, yeah, before we go, usual plugs. Um, if you like what we're doing, contest us on uh, Facebook, Phil's Breakfast Metal, Twitter, at Breakfast Metal. Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah. yeah we're, we're on pretty much, we're on most of the podcasting websites now and via SoundCloud and iTunes and through all sorts of different stuff. So. And yeah, if we're not on your favourite, let us know. Yeah. Like, it would be yeah. hard to find that in reverse, but you know but what yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if there's one where you'd rather access it through somewhere else than where you're currently getting it, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is uh, Hand of Doom Manifestation. <laughs>